I think this um, sermon series in First uh, Thessalonians has sort of been underlining um, what's been kind of running through my head over the last couple months, and just occurred to me how how fitting it is that the church itself is called Hope of Christ because the um, the Christian life as it's presented, and you'll see it come out here is um, obviously this idea that we know that God has, has known us from eternity past and has loved us from eternity past. And faith is that present holding on to the reality that Christ has died and risen, that we have died, uh, that our sins are judged in him, that we're no longer under judgment. But then hope is not a wishful thinking like, I hope it's true, I really want it to be true, but hope is the, the sureness of things that are yet to come, things that are going to be fulfilled. And um, the, the expectation, as we heard last week, was that there were people grieving in the time of Paul's writing in, Th- in Thessalonica, and he's writing to them to encourage them about the return of Christ, and that those who preceded us in death, who've fallen asleep before us, will meet him before we do. They'll be raised again, and then we'll meet them at the resurrection. And so it's, it's giving this, this future expectation, not, again, wishful thinking, um, not a sense of like, well, they live in our memories, so to speak. No, they are living, and we will see them again, not merely disembodied, but embodied, and we will be with them forever. And as Paul's trying to get us to think about this, not just them, but our, our, our our inheritance in Christ, our possession of Christ, the reality of what we are currently living in is that not, you almost have to peel back the veil to see where we're going, what our purpose is to make sure that we're living correctly and having the proper motivation. So in one sense, you can say that the, the believer's present reality in terms of how he ought to live his life is conditioned upon the hope of Christ, the hope of what Christ is going to provide informs how we now live and how we now think about those things. And so we're going to be reading through First Thessalonians chapter 5. It's a very dense um, chapter, and I, I'm really praying I can get through this and, and do justice to the passage in the time that I have and also not have you guys like, you know, like pitchforks or something at the end, like, stop the sermon, you know. But anyway, we, let's start. We'll, we'll, uh, let's rise for the reading of God's word, ver, ver, first 11 verses, and then we'll sit and continue through the passage as we go through it. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people, are, while people are saying, there is peace and security. Then suddenly, destitution will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the, of the night, Uh, or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since, since we belong to the day, 
let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not um, destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation to, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that, we, so that whether we, we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Please be seated. Now, this is one of those things where maybe some of you are in, in, anticipating, wow, he's going to get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I hope we get into some juicy bits about what the end times are going to be like. And, and when Paul says this, remember, in three weeks he was with uh, the Thessalonians, and, um, and he's trying to establish them, and when he says concerning days and seasons— you have no need to be, I have no need to write to you. Some might say, well, that's, they know what's going to happen. They know all the details. They know exactly when Russia is going to come down and take this thing. And then there's going to be a guy doing all these things. And they're going to know all the, all the signs of exactly when Christ is coming. That's exactly what he focused on for three weeks. That's all he talked about so that they get all, all the details. This is the absurdity sometimes of people kind of uh, importing certain ideas into this because the whole point of what Paul is saying here is that I have no need to write to you concerning days and seasons because the whole point is that the end is going to come like a thief in the night. That's his point is that they, they're, they're prepared, understanding that he has no need to write to them about this. There may be people kind of concerned about these sorts of things, but the whole point about the expectation of the coming of the day of the Lord, which is a rich, has a rich um, history in redemptive history from, from the Old Testament to the New, we're living in the last days, as it were, because Christ has come. A lot of people try and think of last days as like all these specific ideas, but the reality is, is that that we're living in the time where we're awaiting for Christ to come. And what he's trying to say, what he's trying to communicate, if I could just sum, sum it all up, is that you need to be living your present life as if you belong to Christ, as if you are a Christian, as if you're living in light of the hope of Christ's coming, that he has been resurrected, that he has ascended, and that he's coming again. And if you, look at the, if you look at this properly, you see what he's trying to say is not that you're kind of doing something where like when, when the, 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 the way to prepare for a thief in the night is not to stay up all night and just do nothing else, right? The way to protect your home from a thief is not to just be in the house all the time because you could never then do anything else, right? Could you live your life if, you were, if all you were concerned about is your, your home being robbed and that sort of thing? The whole point of the imagery here is that people People are living their lives as if everything is now, and they're going to live their lives in darkness and that sort of thing, and, and, and there's, no, there's no judgment, there's no, the Lord is not coming. And so what that means is that what he's trying to say, what has he been trying to express to them? That you were once dead in your sins and trespasses, this is the theme throughout, you've been delivered from darkness into light, and so you need to continue to live your lives as if you are children of the light, as if you, as if this matters right now. Not only the, the fact that Christ has died and risen again, but that he's coming, and all the imageries of Christ returning are not things where 
where people are like saying, well, I don't want to be caught doing that specific act during uh, when Christ comes again because he's going to come like a thief in the night. And so what if I'm just doing something normal and I'm not doing something spectacular? Um, I think Leonard and Amy and maybe some others, I know Leonard and I kind of laugh about this sometimes because uh, there's, there's these movies that were made in the 70s. And well, there's some that were made even longer, but they were a lot cheesier. They didn't have the production value that they, they do now. Like there was a thief in the night in the bat, bat, uh, thing. And Leonard could probably sing a song like, I wish we had been ready or something like that. I mean, these songs that they sang, like, you know, almost to kind of instill fear that like, hey, Christ is going to come. There's going to be secret rapture. Everybody's going to be ushered away. And then, um, you know, the people that are left are, are, are trying to figure out what's going on. The reality is what, what, what they're trying to say here is that Christ is coming and you need to be living your life as if he's coming presently. Not, not as if, well, let's look for the time so that we can really be prepared. There's a sense in which what you're trying to do is you're, you're constantly thinking about the sense that there's a state of readiness and that you're living your life as if you're involved in a current battle against sin and death. And I think that if we, we thought of ourselves not only in terms of our present experience with sin, but also the present expectation, then we would have a more kind of martial meaning um, militant view of how we are prepared. And I was, I was thinking about this, and um, I was, it kind of, there's a lot of analogies in, in being in the military because, or in any kind of thing in which you have to be prepared for, you know, you know, if, if a war breaks out, you can't say, hey, give me, <clears throat> give me several weeks because I'm out of shape. I haven't been training. I, I, I haven't shot my weapon in like two or three years. I, I don't know if I'm going to be ready to go. You can't, you can't be in a battle where you're not in a constant state of almost kind of, it seems like, well, why are you going through the trouble of, of getting up every morning to work out and all these things that you go through? In fact, Paul even uses the analogy that you're, you're constantly in a suit of armor. And I was thinking about the time um, when I was in, uh, in uh, OIF-1, or Operation Iraqi Freedom-1, in which we were in full, you know, uh, chemical, biological gear, and then also uh, uh, flak jackets and helmets, because, you know, everything had just kicked off, and it was really hot in, in April at the time. In fact, it was oppressively hot, and you're just, you have to wear it all the time. You don't have the option of just taking it off. And it may be more comfortable, and in one sense, that's almost the analogy here is that I don't really want to be, I don't really want to be wearing this gear. I don't really want to be thinking about these things all the time. Um, but there, but in that sense, it's kind of like it's, 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 it becomes part of your daily habit to just say, this is the state of readiness I'm in. And so the point is, is that as, you're, as you think about sin and, um, and the flesh and the battle with the flesh, remember that the people who are in the world, so to speak, it's not because they're scuzzy or because they're evil and we're good people, but because we, want, we understand that if we were once slaves to sin and unrighteousness, then we expect them to kind of be living as it were in the darkness. That's the, the, the word, word that he uses here, that they live in darkness, that they still live in sin. They live in reveling. They live in all the things that they consider important to themselves. All the things that they cherish, they live and they revel in those. And in one sense, they're not suited up. Whereas we are, 
we are children of the light, not in the sense that we have some sort of secret knowledge, but in the sense that we've been brought from death to life and we live in Christ and we need to live our lives as if we belong to Christ. And so sin within our members is still tempting us to live as if we were still slaves, but we recognize, no, we're not slaves, and so we're not going to continue to partake of these things. We're not going to live in drunkenness and um, other kinds of things that, that belong to the darkness because Christ is coming. And ha- he has come and is coming. And the reality is that everything that we, we desire is going away. In, in a real sense, sometimes our motivation tends to be like if we have the wrong motivation is that this sense of like well if we're going to lose our salvation I I don't want to do those things because I'm going to lose my salvation I might I might be doing the wrong things whereas the the motivation is more like well I've been set from death to life brought from death to life so why am I partaking of things that don't belong to me why am I acting as if I'm not in Christ and and in the fact that he's going to come again and in the fact that we're going to have redeemed bodies why am i investing in things that lead to death and destruction of my present reality why am i not investing in things that um, christ is free why why am i not putting away the things that christ has freed me from and also putting uh, putting on the things that Christ is going to do in me to present me whole. And this expectation that everything that we do makes sense because of the fullness of what Christ is going to bring us when we return. And it changes the equation from something like this dramatic thing where we're, we're, where we're constantly worried about, well, will I be ready? Will I be somebody who's doing the wrong thing and suddenly lose my salvation at the end? from a, no, he's my brother, he's, he's redeemed me, and I've been redeemed in Christ, and so I want to live as if the, the future resurrection is a reality, the future coming of Christ, so that when I greet him, I'll be, I'll be joyous to see him, and I will be living and investing in the things that tend towards those. And so everything that we do then is an investment in re- recognizing Christ's reality, not only that he's uh, saved us from sin and death, but that he will come again, that everything that, we're, that, that everything that we seem to desire now will be judged, right? All the things that we tend to put our uh, trust and faith in or the, the things that we love to do in our flesh will, will go away. It's going to be judged. That's not going to last. And so we, we live our lives in the light with that expectation, and so I, I, if, if those of you were hoping for something more dramatic than that, that's really the sum of what Paul is trying to say, is trying to get them their motivations right. It's not, it's not meant to uh, tickle our fancy or to, to uh, have us dwell on this specifics of like, well, what, what exactly is it going to look like? Because the whole point is that this, this future event is supposed to have an impact now, and this is what Paul's trying to exhort them in as they live their present reality in Christ. So he continues in verses um, 12 to 22, and he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and, um, and, and admonish you, and to esteem I'm sorry, and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one 
repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to, and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Okay, so th- this is kind of in, we're, we're kind of getting towards the end. We're coming in for landing in 1 Thessalonians 5. And Paul is kind of like um, do, providing a list of exhortations. And this gets to really understanding, remember everything that's come before this, right? Everything that we remember is that Christ has established us in the church, that the church is formed because because God has chosen us and brought us into this holy communion and saved by him. And then in light of that, now we are children of the light, and this is kind of uh, exhortations on how the children of light, what, what it looks like as we've been brought from death to life, how do we live? And so one of the first things he, he says, and I didn't write this, I'm just saying, like, respect your elders. It's funny, but, I mean, it's right there. I mean, that's God's word right there. Because the reality is, um, you know, it's a, it's a consistent issue. I'm not saying respect. Well, there is a sense in which we say we need to respect old people. In fact, this culture is wicked in the way that it treats the elderly, in the, in the despising of age and wisdom. And um, I think we're very foolish in thinking that that which is, is new is always the best thing. And so, yes, respect the elderly, but it's more specifically, he's trying, he's, he's exhorting them to, to, to show respect to those who watch over you, for those who have been given charge over your souls. This is an important thing to do. You know, uh, one, of the, one of the commentaries I read pointed out that there's sort of a, um, a list of kind of um, ethical guidelines for 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 that's a standard admonition in some of the the apostolic um, writing. I think sometimes we we try to kind of we we almost grade against the ideas of like do's and don't list because we think hey if it's not organic if it's not flowing out of me then it's not authentic if if I'm been told how to do this thing correctly then I'm not being really authentic even though there's there's plenty of there's plenty of things that we do in life where we're given kind of a list of steps to follow, and we don't think, hey, I'm being inauthentic if I don't follow these steps. You know, I'd, I like to swing my golf club the way I like to do it, even if the ball ends up in the, in the water all the time. You know, forget all the mechanics of how to do this properly. And so we, we need to recognize that there are certain things in the scriptures that are prescriptive in terms of how we ought to um, behave and how we ought to think. And, and it it really doesn't matter if you think that that's not something that you like to do. Does that make sense? I mean, it's like, in a real sense, we need to learn that our consciences are some need to be trained, that the very thing that, that we've been set free from is, 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 um, is darkness. And so the scriptures are pointing us in the right direction. The law can't save us, but it does give us the tracks on which, on which we run. And so there are things here that are important, and one of those things is to, um, of course, to uh, p- 
pick the right people who are going to be admonishing you, but then because you esteem um, them for the fact that you see them walking in the faith and, and, and doing the things that the scriptures command, that when they tell you, hey, you should be doing something, you don't just blow them off and say, well, that's just not something I like to do. I mean, we've been, we've been charged to uh, watch over you, and um, there's nothing extraordinary in terms of like, you won't go into the scriptures and find a list of things that say, hey, here's all the instructions for how elders are supposed to live their lives, and the rest of you people that aren't elders, like, this is the list of things they ha- you have to do. The list is the same. The only difference between those who have charge is that they're, they're, they're uh, expecting to have shown some maturity in that, to, to provide guidance for that. Not infallible, but at least in the sense that they've been doing this for a while, that they've been battling sin within their members, and they know how you should walk. And they should be, um, you, you should be um, listening to us, I guess, for lack of a better word, and, and paying attention to these kinds of things. Um, there's another list here uh, as well. And, and when I say here, uh, not only elders, but also those who ha- have been given, um, that have been given uh, the privilege of serving in forms of leadership. So that means that we do our best for anybody who's laboring among the church and not just the elders. But again, this is one of those things that we need to be focused on. Um, he says to admon- admonish the idol. Uh, there's a, actually three different things here that have to do with different kinds of people in the church. And so it's not one size fits all, but there are, there are Christians in the church who are idle in the sense that they're either not, um, they're either being disruptive or not doing the things they ought to do. And so there's, there's an appropriate place in the Christian life to say, hey, you're not doing this right. Admonishment means like, knock it off. You're not you're, you're being disruptive. You need to turn from your sin. And I think sometimes we, we try to, the, the, the Christian faith in America has be, is, is so consumeristic because it's not like you guys came here because, hey, it's in, within walking distance. It happens to be the church in your neighborhood. And you're like, well, where else am I going to go? It's like, you have a ton of choices. You know, you, you know if you decide you don't like it here, uh, notionally, you could just drive to another church. But we do uh, believe that the scriptures uh, require us to take vows and become and and to to be um to be committed to one another because um as i told marines years ago uh i used to give these uh um you know the standard brief that commanders give to their their marines when they're going on liberty is usually it's kind of all the threats that happen like if you do this uh while you're on liberty which means kind of going on vacation for those of you who don't know what i'm talking about but um if you're out on liberty and you do this, you know, expect to get in a lot of trouble. And I would always try and at least appeal to the sense of virtue within the Marines and say, you know, we take oaths and vows in life for things that are hard, not because they're easy. We, and, and the military is one of the few things left where people actually take oaths and vows. Marriage is another um, where we take oaths and vows not because like, wow, marriage is so easy. Why don't, why don't I even need a vow? I'm just going to fall into that. And everything about love and, and, and kids is going to be super easy. The whole point of a vow is to, to hold you to that vow as well as other people who are witnesses to hold you to that 
precisely at the times when you don't want to be doing those things, when you'd rather be following your heart and doing exactly what, it, what the real you is saying makes you most happy. And I'm not saying that like everything that makes you happy is necessarily bad. What I'm trying to say is we are, we are so bound up into, um, into ourselves these days that the idea that we would be bound by some sort of promise that we made is ridiculous. But in this sense, we need to be bound to each other. The covenant membership that we have is hard. The, the, the fact is we're annoying to one another. Even, even your elders, the, the command that you would have to listen to us is one of those things where you need to be willing to be admonished at times. And, and even elders need to be willing to be admonished. And so we need to admonish one another and admonish the idol. We need to encourage the faint-hearted, meaning those who are struggling uh, with their assurance, struggling with um, their sins, struggling with whatever is going on in their lives, coming alongside of them and saying, hey, it's, it's going to be okay. Christ, Christ is for you. You know, people, uh, for whatever reason, it could be um, indwelling sin that's uh, weighing them down, the temptations of Satan. It can be mourning, all sorts of things. We need to be encouraging the faint-hearted, and we need to be, we need to be helping the weak. And uh, that's especially, in this sense, helping the poor, the needy, the downtrodden. We need to be looking out for all of these kinds of, of people within the congregation. And, and then he sums it up as be patient with everybody. It's like long-suffering. That means, like, whatever's happening, take a long view of things. It's not going to happen right away. Sometimes you've got to let things kind of work themselves out. You've got to keep working at things. You know, when Peter tells, I'm sorry, when, uh, when Jesus tells Peter, how often should I be forgiving my brother? And he says, 70 times 7. That's sometimes how it feels as an elder when you're kind of waiting on certain things. And there's a, there's a quality to patience and being patient and kind of saying the same things over and over and admonishing over the same things. It's the reason why some of you aren't Baptists anymore and have you baptized your children. I mean, it's, it's great <laughs> being an elder. And like in one sense, a quiet admonishment every time you see uh, a child baptized and hearing those things. That's why we don't, we don't make it a requirement for somebody to completely agree with us on all points we want to we want to see people grow in their understanding and i and i'm not i'm not i i i brought out that particular thing i'm not saying that that's that you're idle or faint hearted or anything but the point is is that patience with everybody in the christian church is in, incredibly important and that means everybody has to have that towards one another he says to um, do good to all and bless and do not curse. We, we do not want to return evil for evil. And this is exactly what Christ himself said, is that when somebody does something to you, you don't immediately seek revenge. And it's reiterated here in Christ's admonishment. I was actually, I don't know if you guys ever feel this way, but sometimes I like, um, I haven't thought about things in so long that until I'm confronted by it, it's like, Man, I spent a long time since I've thought about the idea that I need to kind of um, tone down my desire for revenge, so to speak, my desire to um, just kind of like crush people, so to speak, because you you have you have this this culture that we're in where we have we have like you know keeping grievances of well you did this and you did that and and um, you can kind of get into the same idea that you're you're trying to crush a certain segment of society and you don't want to be kind to them you want to see them destroyed so to speak well the christian is intended to be the kind of person that's going to bless and not curse 
and to be kind to everyone and to, to do good, first of all, within the body of Christ. And I don't know if there's anybody here that you kind of feel on the outs with, that people that have kind of annoyed you over time, people that you think, like, you, you can develop this root of bitterness over time where you think, well, why'd she do that? Or why'd he do that? Why does he always do that? And we need to kind of, we need to kind of turn our attitude around sometimes and, and look for ways to bless one another and think the best of one another and do good to one another and then see that flow out to the community at large and the ways that we desire to do good to those who ask or especially as we consider people or consider um, the world to have a sense of the desire for the good of people. Um, there's, there's an excellent, excellent sermon, uh, Puritan sermon, about the duty of, of Christians to mourn over the sins in the places in which they live. And we often want to see Christ's wrath poured out on the sins and the places in which we live. But what this is trying to get at is that we want to have a desire to see that people come to salvation because we know that they're under judgment, and so we desire good for them and not evil because we recognize in ourselves the same judgment that, they des- that, that we all deserve. And so we want, we're mourning. In one sense, the, the expression is we're kind of like prisoners for righteousness within our community, unrighteousness, we're prisoners of righteousness within our communities because we see so much unrighteousness going on that we're, we're navigating through this. We're navigating through our communities, through our workplaces and everything else. And we recognize that the ideas that, they're ha- that, that they have, they're deeply, uh, they're deeply held. They may be foolish in the sense of what God has said, but we, we desire good for the people. We don't desire evil, and we want to see the good for them, and we want to do good to them in every opportunity we have, and not just to see, not just to see them crushed for the folly that they express. And so it's important that we, we, um, we think about this. Now, this, was, um, this, is, this is a hard thing. I mean, it's almost like Paul... You know, if, if Paul says to rejoice always in here, and it's, it's one of those things that if Paul wasn't writing it, you'd say, well, this is probably not the right time to be talking about joy within the congregation in the midst of suffering, except for the fact that Paul wrote this within the very, like, with, with, you remember last week? I know it felt like, well, it was last week for us, but it wasn't last week for the Thess- Thessalonians when they were reading this. He's He's saying, encourage the mourning in your congregation over the fact that Christ is going to come again. And then literally, uh, a f- you know, several seconds later, he's saying rejoice always. And it's not one of those things where um, there, there actually is a... There actually is a scripture verse that says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And all I could think of when I was doing that is that kind of, um, I don't know, that praise chorus. And, and there's a way of almost singing that that's almost banal and kind of silly, where it loses the sense of joy that you have, where you're just kind of clapping and singing the same thing over and over, as if the only reason you're going to be joyful is for the sake of being joyful, that be joyful for the sake of joy. joy. No, that's not what... That's not the sense of joy that, the, the, that is commanded in the scriptures. The joy that we have is the sense of what God is doing in us in the midst of all this suffering, as well as the expectation of what God is going to have accomplished in us in the midst of all this suffering. The vista to open these things up so that part of, 
part of, mourn, of, of mourning without hope is the idea that you lose perspective on the present reality of what God is doing as well as the future reality of what he's going to accomplish. And so in that sense, there is a there is a joy in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of suffering. And so we never lose, in one sense, an expectation of joy in terms of the, the, the fulfillment. That doesn't, just, that doesn't mean that we're always going to be happy. It's not a matter of mood, so to speak. And we don't need to be, um, we don't need to be berating people over the fact it's like, hey, why, are you, why do you look downcast? Why are you downcast? You're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. You can actually... You can actually feel downcast or feel sorrowful, but also hopeful and joyful in the same, in, at the same time. And so there's, there's an admonishment, again, to, be, uh, to consider what, not merely our circumstances, but what the, how those circumstances fit within Christ's economy in terms of what he has accomplished and will accomplish in us. So then he gets into do not quench the spirit and test prophecies. So so, um, is anybody here a prophet? Please don't answer that question if you are. Um, <laughs> so now we get into kind of like, I, I don't have time to, this is one of those uh, stressful things about preaching this, and I, I don't know, I've been listening back to myself preaching, and I, I sometimes think, man, you could have done that a lot better, and most of you are like saying, no kidding, Rich. I mean, seriously, we've been thinking that for weeks. But um, the this is one of those passages that we could have just done an entire thing on, well, many of the parts in here, but on prophecies themselves. The point here on Paul is to, uh, on the one hand, to not despise things that are from the Lord, that are coming from the Lord, but also to test things that are coming from the Lord, because not everybody who comes to you and says, I've got something that the Lord is telling me is necessarily has something from the Lord. But there are certain things that come from the Lord that you need to pay attention to. That's the, that's the simple answer. The more complex thing is whether or not when Paul's talking about in terms of prophecy is, is there's, there's a sense in which the things that were going on in Paul's day during the establishment of the church with the apostles, there are certain gifts that existed like apostles and prophets that were establishing the New Testament community. And those gifts, God gives gifts for a purpose. He gives the enablement of those things for the sort of like the foundation laying. Remember, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Once the foundation is laid, now we're the stones building upon that. We don't need to keep looking at those foundations. So there's a sense in which Paul is probably talking about the prophets that existed at that point, but there's also a sense of prophecy that is a telling forth of the things that God has done. And, and there's uh, very, a lot of men in church history, or a lot of people in church history, who have considered what's going on right now as a form of prophecy that is prophesying or preaching, proclaiming what God has done, or forth, for, telling forth what God has done as well as what his word says. And so... The important thing for you to remember in this is that when God is speaking, you don't just kind of like blow it off on the one hand. Does that make sense? Like when God is speaking through, through prophesying, preaching, that God's word is being proclaimed, you don't blow it off and say, I don't want to listen to that. Or on the other thing, that everybody who comes, you don't just say, wow, that's from the Lord. I better go do it, you know? Well, Oprah said the secret is important and I need to listen to this person. Maybe the 
Trinity is not what I think it is, you know? Not everybody who comes in the name of the Lord is from the Lord. And there's a good way to test that. If somebody's coming from the Lord is you go to the scripture because God doesn't contradict himself. And so we have a sure foundation, but the point is is that we need to be at attention when God's speaking, but also established so that we don't just get blown around by every word of prophecy. So that's, that's the sense in which Paul is talking here. So let's bring this in for a landing here because we're almost through 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Continuing in verses 25, or 23 to 28. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept uh, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So this is um, another another benediction within this. We actually had a benediction, and the, 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 um, the mood here in the way that Paul talks is called the optative mood. It's the way that he speaks, may the Lord do this. It's, it's kind of like he's, he's it, through the apostolic inspired word of God, he's praying that God will accomplish the very thing that you hear will come to pass. And one of the things he, 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 desires is for everything that he's talked about you may have kind of felt like oh man there's so many things that I've got to do I I think I missed it like what am I going to do like I, I forget what Rich said about that well go back and read it if you forget don't just say well I don't know what he said um, go back and read the text and continue to be immersed in the word of God but it's not as if you're you're trying to take all this stuff in and saying how am I going to do this I, I I feel like I'm I, I, I'm like inadequate to do this in, a, in and of myself. And if you feel like you're inadequate to do this in and of yourself, you're absolutely right. It's only the fact that you are united to Christ Jesus and you and his Holy Spirit is in you that the God of peace himself is going to sanctify you and provide the very things that he's going to talk about. This is what Paul's prayer is for you. Paul's, the, 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 the word of God himself, as, it's, as, as through the author Paul, God himself is saying, I'm going to sanctify you. I'm a promise keeper, as it were. I will do the very thing that I have destined you for. I want you to, I want you to strive for these things. God is saying that. I want you to strive for these things. These are important things. I want you to live as children of the light, but recognize you're not going into this battle alone. I am with you. I'm before you. We have everybody uh, around each other, but Christ is sanctifying us all, and he is bringing this to pass. He says that that he who calls you is faithful and will surely do it. He's going to accomplish these things, and you, you need not fear, like, if you're going to fall short. Christ is faithful to accomplish that, and so go forward with the assurance and the confidence that as you're, you're going into battle, that the, the battle will be won in Christ Jesus as you're going through these difficulties, as you're going through these trials and temptations, as you're mourning in the face of everything that's going on, as you can't see but dimly because the, 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 the light is like a light into our path and all I can do is take a step and I'm going to continue to move forward. We're going to continue to 
to, to move forward, but that Christ himself will surely accomplish the very things that we've been talking about, that Christ himself is, is perfecting us, that he's preparing us as a bride, that everything that we've been talking about is, is sure in Christ. And then he says, um, he says that uh, he, he commands them to pray for, pray for us. And this is one of the ways that we should, be, um, should model us, is that we should, be, we should model our own lives, is that we should be people of prayer, that we should be praying for, um, for one another, praying for the very things that we desire, praying uh, the promises of, of God back to him. And then he says, greet one another's, Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Okay, now, you can forget about that. I'm just saying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, we got to do something with this, but let me tell you this. I'm not, we can't just ignore the word of God, okay? Um, but remember, this is a cultural thing. If, if you want to kind of say this, uh, greet one another with a holy warm handshake or greet one another with a warm side hug. Um, the whole point is that, uh, the kiss here is one of, uh, in, this, in this sense, is one of familial attachment. This is a cultural expression of saying, we're, we're family, you know? This is, this is what the church is. We're family. Our, our, uh, if, if blood is thicker than water, then the Spirit's bond is thicker than blood. And so we, we want to have that kind of reconciling, we love each other, and, and in fact, this is one of the things that um, is in older traditions. In fact, if you ever grew up um, in a very liturgical tradition, before you took communion together, um, there was always a sign of the Lord's peace, like peace be with you. Um, and the whole point of that, it kind of turned into kind of like a hand grab, like, peace be with you. You do that, and then you take communion. But the whole point of that is that you're reconciling to one another. You're actually extending fellowship. You're greeting. You're going in, 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 in the early liturgies. It's like, kiss each other, and then you take the communion together. Um, and, and so we, we remind, we, we probably don't remind you enough of this. This is maybe where we're falling down as elders a little bit, but still respect us, but, <laughs> but, we need to remind you, hey, the Lord's Supper's coming up. Make sure you're reconciled to one another before you come up to the table because it might not be the best time to do it while you're standing in line. You might not have time to say, hey, I was kind of angry at you for that or whatever. You want to be in a position where you're greeting one another with the holy handshake slash side hug slash whatever. If you want to kiss each other on the cheek, that's fine. If it's cultural, that's just, I can't do that. I just can't, I'm too weirded out by that idea. Some of you are probably like, you're, I'm weirded out by it too. Please never do that to me. But you know, there's some people that can get away with it. I'm not one of them. So, um, but the whole point is it's be affectionate to one another in the sense that Christ is reconciled and be seeking reconciliation constantly with one another. And then, um, and then he says, uh, sorry, I'm getting all tangled up here. He says, uh, he talks about making sure that others in the churches hear about this thing. And then finally he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And this is, this is really everything. This is, where we, this is where we get everything. This is where we have the energy to be able to, to accomplish all of these things. Sometimes we say, well, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Grace and peace is if it's kind of a throwaway line. But the reality is, beloved, is that grace is the very thing that we need. Everything, in fact, uh, one of the things I love about our standards is that they, 
focus so much on, on, on talking about God and then getting right to Christ as our mediator is the fact that we have communion with God because Christ has accomplished all of these things. And everything else from faith to sanctification to good works to adoption, all these other things, they're called they're called evangelical graces because they're flowing from Christ. Everything that we do flows from Christ. Everything that we've talked about today flows from Christ. The future expectation of everything that Christ has, um, has, is going to accomplish is from Christ. And the fact of the matter is that we need to be, we are dependent upon him by his spirit that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with us. And so that's my prayer for all of you. That's my prayer for myself, is that everything that we, we see in First Thessalonians as we're being established, as we're walking through this world, is that we're, we're transformed. We recognize ourselves to be children of light, um, having been brought from darkness, and now we're walking in Christ, and we see this future expectation of things to come. And right now we're walking in the midst of mourning, in the midst of grief, in the midst of, of rejoicing over children that have been born. Even the fact that women who went through labor pains are now seeing the, 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 the birth of their children. We're seeing all of these things all together and we're continuing to keep our eyes open, our shields up, our, our, our helmets on. That the, the faith that we have, and then we're all moving together because we know where everything's going and we're focused upon that. And yes, we're distracted by all the things that are going on, all the things that could cause us to say, maybe I like that. And we're reminding one another, no, those are the kinds of things, remember, that led to death. And we're like, oh yeah, I, didn't, I remember that. And, and then all of that stuff is enabled by Christ's power in us. And so let's continue to march together, not in our own strength, but in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, our God, we thank you for this present reality that we have in Christ Jesus, as well as the future glory that awaits us when Christ comes again. And the day of the Lord comes with a trumpet sound, and the dead will be raised. And we'll meet him in their air first. And so the first who will be with him are the very loved ones that we're all grieving for right now that have preceded us in the Lord. So give us a vista to see that, to see that all the things that entangle us right now, that, that, that we would walk in darkness or in drunkenness or in the, the, in the reveling of the day, that we would be sober-minded, that we would see the things that really pertain to life and salvation and so that we would look around others and see and mourn for the sins that they uh in the places in which we live and to pray for pray for their salvation to have opportunity to express the hope that is within us and so father how apt it is that we are hope of christ that our very name is the hope of future glory the hope of in expectation of the things yet to come that you will bring about because you yourself are faithful and will surely accomplish it by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.